0: Good morning. Good morning. This is hour two of Mornings with Carmen on this September the 1st, 2022. If you missed hour one, I encourage you to, you know, go grab the podcast later. If you download the Faith Radio app, then you'll always have the show accessible any hour of any day. And it's really easy then to share the material with others. So there you go. Um, Do you remember the Reason rallies? I, re- I actually remember the first Reason Rally. It was held 10 years ago in Washington, D.C. Um, I have a friend who, I mean, she's just this fantastically energized Christian. And um, I found out about the Reason Rally because her husband actually went and attended, which was when I also learned that she was married to an atheist. So for those of you that don't know, the Reason rallies, um were, you know, like hoping to spark America's Atheist revolution. Uh, thousands of atheists and humanists and skeptics would gather together. They, they, you know, busloads of them from across the country gathered together on the not- uh, on the National Wall, um, excuse me, National Mall, and um, and hold a reason rally. And it was, uh, you know, sort of billed as the largest gathering of non-believers. And they would chant, "We're here. We're godless." Get used to it, and their pa- and their plan, their big plan, was to um, overcome, unseat, push out of relevance the quote unquote Christian right. But then there was the rise of the Christian left and um, and other sort of religiously motivated activist efforts. And in the midst of of that, over the course of time. The reason rallies, instead of getting bigger, got smaller, and um, fewer people were investing the kind of money uh, into the effort that would be required to bring real, uh, you know, change at uh, at a national political level. And so, um, there is a question now, sort of like posted out there broadly: Hey, whatever happened to uh, America's atheist revolution? What happened to, you know, the reason rallies and and all of those efforts? And I would just like to say that okay, so. The reason that the reason rallies failed to rally atheists to the cause of stripping America of faith in God is because God is real. (laughs) Like, uh, the reality of the faith of the people of God is real. Like, it's not as if because you don't believe in the reality of God, you're going to somehow convince those of us who know God is real that God is not real. Like, that is a fool's errand. But the reason rallies also failed, I think, because there's no there there. Like, how how energizing is it to shadow box for year after year after year? Like, if you honestly don't believe there's a God there, then how energized are you going to be to spend a whole lot of your resources and time and energy and effort fighting against him? which, by the way, which, by the way, is one of the tactics of the enemy. The enemy would like to convince us that he's not real. So you won't put up any real resistance against him. You won't lock the door. You won't remain vigilant. You won't perceive him as a real threat. So let me say, be on your guard today against the enemy who is real and looking around right now, prowling around your life right now, looking for a way in in order to do what? Devour your soul. Um, So be on your guard. The enemy is real. Um, We got to keep putting up a fight uh, every single day. And if you want to be strengthened for that battle, you should join um, Susie Larson in her online study of her new book, Strong in Battle, Why the Humble Will Prevail. You can sign up for that today at MyFaithRadio.com. All right. And now um, for the segue to the educational portion of the program. A-B-C-D-E-F-G. Sing it with me if you know it. A-B-C-D-E-F-G. Here's a new version. L-G-B-T-Q-I-Z. Yep, that's up next with Dr. Peter Kapsner. Dr. Peter Kapsner is back. He's back at school. He's back here with us. Good morning, sir.
2: Good morning, Carmen. I'm back in studio, too. It's so fun to be here with Paul and chatting with I you. Know. It's You know, we're, we're all back and full grooving here.
0: All right, here we go. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Okay, so we all know that song. People could sing along with it. Um, here is a new version, and I would like you to explain it to us. LGBTQIz,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, What's going no, on exactly. Here? What is going on here? Well, I think people are familiar with the, with the acronyms and the letters that you are singing. There is representative of some of the first sort of non traditional ways to understand ourselves in terms of our sexual attractions and, and our gender identities, and uh, those are just the, the, the speed with which we are adding. Letters we, we long ago, Carmen, right? We long ago ran out of letters. We're well past 26 different ways in which people can identify themselves. And you and I were noting this last week, right, that the speed in which more letters are getting added, it, it, it just it's uh, it, it's um, extrapolating out into hundreds of them now at this point. And just trying to think through why might some of those things be. And I, I think one of the reasons why we can understand why this is happening is a psychological one. So much of what we've seen with these non-traditional ways of, of understanding one's sexual or gender identity is really anchored in the in, in sort of this isolation and loneliness, and maybe the question, "Do you see me?" That a lot of people have, and you know, I've talked many different times, being in the front lines with young people, uh, some sixty or ninety every semester, and once there's trust built in the classroom, it really is amazing what they say about their lives and how they perceive themselves. And with most of them being so lonely and isolated, uh, if you have an opportunity to express yourself in a non-traditional way of any kind that gets people's attention for at least a little while, you get this big dopamine hit that everybody notices you, everybody sees you, everybody applauds good for you. Or even if they don't applaud, even if it's negative attention, it's still attention. And Uh, For a while, you go from I don't know who my people are, I don't know who my friends are, and suddenly everybody notices you. Now, the reason why the letters are picking up with such speed in light of that psychological dynamic is if if we think about it now, it's pretty boring and uh, amazingly, unfortunately boring if, if somebody just comes out and says, well, I'm gay. Or I'm a lesbian, or some of the first versions of the letters that came out, that's all sort of passe and blase now. Nobody really cares much about that. So we have to continue to invent new versions of identity in order to make a splash in our social media channels or in our friendships or in our relationships and say, wow, well, good for you. That's an entirely new way of understanding yourself. And and that's so you need a new letter to be able to get that it's it 's boring otherwise, so there's other things that we could say about this, but that probably explains why we 're seeing the letters increase with such speed.
0: yeah, I just want to remind everybody of the conversations that we 've had like with Kara Powell from um, Fuller Youth Institute um, on you know conversations about identity belonging, and purpose we have um, we've had lots of conversations here about helping young people. Um, you know, discover their identity in Christ, and so certainly that 's where we want to um, direct this conversation and lead people in conversation um, yeah how, how who am I and and how do I understand myself in relationship to God? And therefore, how do I understand myself in relationship to everyone else? Hey, yep. Peter, we know that you have uh, just started back to school in a new semester. You've been teaching how many years now?
2: Yeah, well, in different institutions uh, since 2002. And so I've been um, here at the University of Northwestern St. Paul since, so oh, I suppose, 2013.
0: OK, so 20 years all told. Yep. Um, but certainly long enough even there in one academic environment to have really seen um, a pretty significant change uh, in terms of students arriving on campus. So we'd like um, for you to share with us here in just a moment, you know, after after just a first week, like, what do you feel like you know about um, students and maybe new things that you could highlight for us that you're, um, you know, that you're, that you're seeing, that you're experiencing, uh, that you're discovering about uh, this particular generation? We're talking with Dr. Peter Kapsner, Um, We're going to have a little bit of a conversation here about our own observations about Gen Z. Who are they? What are they thinking? What are they like? How can we reach them? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, It happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Hey, what are those kids thinking out there? Who are those kids? What are they thinking? We're talking with Dr. Peter Kapsner. He is back in the classroom um, On in a university setting. The students arriving on campus are largely from um, what would be described as evangelical Christian families. Um, however, that's not necessarily... Um, you know, how they might test out if you yeah. if you actually gave them a definition of what that means. So, um, Peter, first of all, you know, again, thank you for being here. We appreciate your time. Um, what's one thing, let's just start with one thing, what's one thing you are noticing about this year's um, students that maybe differentiates them, you know, over time, you, you've been at this for some 20 years, so yeah, yeah. Um, what are you noticing?
2: Yeah, I think probably three quick things out of that. And the first one we already just sort of hit on. Um, I I taught my first week of sexuality class here this last week, and that is one that I've been teaching in various iterations since about 2008, I want to say, maybe 2006 even. So I've seen the speed of change firsthand in terms of my syllabus back then versus what it is now. But I think what was actually really encouraging, so starting with an encouraging one, is I walked into class uh, this last week and there was such a buzz of energy uh, in this class of young people just really wanting to to get their, their hooks into this subject. They are just so hungry for ongoing and good teaching about sexuality. And we talked about it a little bit, and I think this can maybe get into the second one, is uh, I said, you know, we're going to have somewhere in the neighborhood – of fourteen weeks um, and maybe fifty two hours of content that we 're going to be able to cover here in uh, in class on sexuality and if you If you think that the average church sermon is maybe about twenty ish minutes long and you just do all of the math fifty two week or fifty two hours whatever it is, it actually comes to three years' worth of sermons that we're going to be able to cover in the sexuality class. So you think about how far we are behind in our teaching and our guiding and our shepherding and our leading of young people on what is a very complicated and important topic, biblically and socially and all of that. You would literally need three years from the pulpit to be able to do what we do in this classroom for the better part of 14 weeks. And even then, we always feel like round two is needed. So um, there the, the point is, is if somebody wanted to do three years from a pulpit in a church, I think they would see an unbelievable catalytic hunger for it. Um, but boy, you'd have to really do your work on the front end um, to to be able to shepherd people responsibly in it. So that's one thing, I think, is is just there's a lot of energy to learn about it. And that brings up a second part of it, is that you, you guys cover the stats here on The Morning Show. You know the Barner research. You bring people on that talk about the changing way in which people are attending church and the exodus that is ongoing from sort of these large events that have been happening these last 30 years. Now that that was really underpinned by a church philosophy of saying, how many people can we get to a Sunday morning and have them have a positive experience on Sunday morning through worship songs, through interesting sermons through coffee shops and all of that. And, and I think there's a, probably a lot of good that came out of that. Uh, and a lot of people got introduced to Jesus in that. But, uh, but the generation that I am teaching now really doesn't have a lot of interest in doing that. They have a hunger that goes beyond that. And they really want to live in much more of a localized, kind of smaller, maybe even like a parish-based kind of community. So Hallie, my wife, and I have opened up our house uh, all, all throughout the summer every Sunday and just said, hey, if anybody wants to come by um, for a meal, for some conversations, we'll do communion each week. We'll talk about life and faith and all of those things. Carmen, I've been amazed at how many even young people have been willing to drive some 35, 40 minutes to just be there for three or four hours on a, on a Sunday. And so I think there's a real hunger to say we need more than the 20 minutes on a Sunday. Um, and that explains some of that catalytic energy. And th- And that connects to the third piece of it. And so this is all kind of one big uh, pot with three different ingredients. I, the failure of discipleship that's happened as a result of these large gathering events on Sunday mornings, you just simply cannot disciple somebody with a 20 minute sermon on a Sunday morning or an occasional cup of coffee with a mentor, maybe once a month. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. We're, we're so far behind in some of these things. And I think this is where I'm a little bit sad. where I'm really encouraged is the energy that, the, that they have to want to learn and grow. Where I'm a little discouraged now is that after 30 years of sort of this attractional model of church to get as many people as possible to a Sunday morning, the level of biblical literacy, Carmen, I I would almost want to laugh if it wasn't so sad. Uh, 20 years ago, uh, there would be almost no students that couldn't quote most of the sort of more well-known passages of scripture. Say, you know, take Romans 3.23 or Romans 6.23, for example, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God or the wages of sin is death. and and uh, and even John three sixteen uh increasingly so. And I just asked uh, on Tuesday, so two days ago, how many of you have heard in a class of 30 people of some of these passages in Romans as we're kind of talking about how do we understand the gospel? Where do these Romans passages help? Where have they really maybe misled us in some ways? And, and how do we kind of work through the, uh, all of that? Carmen, I think there was three of my 30 students that had even heard of those passages. And 20 years ago, it would have been all 30 of them. And, and if I ask... Who knows King Solomon? Uh, I would say at best it's five out of 30. Uh, and I would say most of them have never even cracked open the scriptures at all. And and of course, the scriptures are only one part of our discipleship journey, but they're such a critical part. I mean, you cannot yeah. understand the kingdom without starting with the scriptures. So that that guy, think of the three noticings that I have.
0: Yeah, the failure of discipleship um, evident in a lack of biblical literacy, and and then, of course, spiritual formation, right? I mean, right. if you're not discipled, then, you know, your spiritual formation is going to be lacking as well. Um, and that's going to leave them—I mean, it's one thing to be, you know, on campus with you where you're going to nurture and disciple them. It's another thing to send the same student um, to a campus um, where, you know, that is secular um, and where they are going to encounter people who, instead of um, helping to— rebuild their foundation and shore up um mm-hmm. the places where maybe their discipleship is weak um instead they're going to meet wolves who are going to devour them and seek to tear down everything and so you know that that's why so much quote unquote deconstruction happens when um when students go off to secular universities completely unprepared by yes. uh by both home and church um where they were raised so prayer prayer is certainly in order um on that front as well um, when you think about their interests, when you think about social media, when you think about, you know, sort of other things that we when we consider um, a lot in the culture today related mm-hmm. to young people, like what do you see in there?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think there's maybe some um, some encouraging signs on this one, too. And, and I'll actually do some asking of the class here in these next two class periods before you and I chat again next week. And but but I'm seeing less of sort of this compulsive addiction to be on their phone even when they're in class. I really, boy, oh, boy, when I had, uh, when, when those cell phones first came out, I had to have such stringent guidelines in the class that they would just stay off for an hour and 40 minutes, just stop, you know, stop all the endorphin rushes uh, from the text. And I don't sense that they have to be on their phones all the time like they used to be. Like, I think there's a pendulum swing where they're saying, yeah, this isn't necessarily as good for me as I want it to be. So they certainly, of course, their primary way in which they are engaging with their friendships is still going to be through virtual means. I mean, there's just not that much face-to-face stuff. But I think they're waking up that this isn't maybe the most healthy thing for them. And that then feeds into... Um, If if church communities can develop—let's say you have a church community of 500 or 1,000 people or even 300. If within all of that you can take sort of the classic small group model but actually split it up into more of a localized parish uh, idea as the heart of your church, I think these young people would move off of their phones relatively quickly— and just want to be in face-to-face space with people. And so that is an encouraging sign. I might be wrong. And so I'll ask them all here in these next couple of class periods, but I'm not seeing as much of the sort of the addiction to it all.
0: All right. uh, David has a task for you. David texting in this morning on the Uh text line. Um, Good morning, David. Uh, He's from Fargo. There are kids from his church. At Northwestern. And so a shout out to the Cargis kids. Riley just graduated. Grady plays baseball. Yes. And uh, and Ella just got there as a freshman. So, Dr. Peter Kapsner, you are now charged um, to reach out and give a shout out today to the Cargis kids at UNW. I will
2: will wander campus just yelling their name until I run into (laughs) them. Ah, ah, So I absolutely ah,
0: ah, ah. will. (laughs) And tell them their friend David from church uh, gave him a shout out this morning. (laughs) Definitely will. Hey, as always, um, thank you so much. It's a blessing to be with you.
2: Yeah, so fun. Thanks, Carmen.
0: (laughs) That's Dr. Peter Kapsner. He's a professor at the University of Northwestern St. Paul, of which uh, we are a part as a part of Northwestern Media. Faith Radio is the ministry outreach, the media ministry outreach of UNW. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio.
1: September morning. We danced until the night became a brand new day.
0: Johnstone Street's uh, breakpoint today cuts right to the heart of um, the reality of mental health, and ultimately conversations about suicide in our culture, particularly among young people. So let me just ask you, when was the last time you heard a sermon on suicide? The reality um, that there are stories in the Bible about people who took their own lives, the reality of it today, a story like the story of Yaley Martinez, when is the last time you heard a sermon on suicide? And how Christians can shine a light into the descending darkness of a person before they reach their breaking point. Most Christians say they have never heard a sermon directly addressing suicide. Well, that's a problem. Suicide is now the leading cause of death among 13-year-olds in America. And the church is not talking about it? We're going to find out how to identify the signs that a person is at risk and what to do about it. Dr. Matthew Sleeth joins us next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Matthew Sleeth joins us again today. He's a former emergency room physician and chief of the hospital medical staff. Uh, He resigned from that position in order to teach and preach and write about faith and health. Uh, He speaks frequently across the country. He's recognized by Newsweek as one of the nation's most influential Christian leaders. He's executive director of Blessed Earth and author of numerous books, including Reforesting Faith, one of my favorites, Uh, 24-6, which is about the Sabbath. And his most recent book, Hope Always, How to Be a Force for Life in a Culture of Suicide. He's here today to talk with us on this 1st of September. September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. Dr. Matthew Sleeth, welcome again to Mornings with Carmen.
1: Great to be back with you, Carmen.
0: So talk with us about um, these latest statistics. A suicide attempt happens every 11 seconds in America. That's a lot of people in a lot of pain around us all the time.
1: Yeah, in the next year, 10 million people are going to wrestle with whether or not to end their lives. And a million and a half of those are going to end up being seen and treated uh, in emergency departments. And if it weren't for modern technology, the number of people who would complete suicide would be, you know, just sky high. And and, and we would have numbers that have never been seen in society before anywhere in any time in history. So. We're in a very, very dark place right now, and uh, uh, the church is charged with being the light on the hill, and so that's really my message is that we have the message of hope. Uh, we have the reason for life, that sort of thing, and that the church needs to get involved in this battle, and it's a battle.
0: Talk with us. Um, when when those 10 million individuals um, arrive in emergency rooms, some of them have attempted suicide. Some of them are just considering it um what are like everybody has like a different point at which the bridge collapses right where they can no longer bear the weight of whatever it is but what are the signs that a person is arriving at at their own breaking point
1: well some depression is one of the most commonly associated things with uh suicide and depression often has symptoms of Uh, uh, people become disinterested in things that used to give them pleasure. They often withdraw. They may gain or lose a lot of weight. They have trouble sleeping. Um, They're Performance at work may uh, decline. Their ability to get along with family and friends is often affected. So you're really looking for changes uh, from what you know the person to be. Normally, if you have somebody you golf with, for instance, on a regular basis or always shows up at your small group at church and and those things change, uh, I think we, as our brothers and sisters keepers, have to ask some of the difficult questions and and ask people how are they doing? Are they depressed? Are they thinking about harming themselves uh, we are are responsible for our brothers and sisters on this uh um, it, it, on this planet and in this lifetime uh we're We're here to serve the Lord and serve others so uh even if it's a difficult uh subject to bring up, I think if we see a lot of these changes. Um, we have to be asking questions.
0: I want to um, I want to highlight the resources that are available at um, at Matthew's website, Matthew Sleeth, S L E E T H, Matthew Sleeth MD. dot com, um, and talk with us about not just the book available now, but now there's this this video um, resource that you could like do at your church or in your small group
1: yes there's a a video series there's actually two available uh one that can be gotten through right now media and streams uh on that platform and uh many churches have subscriptions to right now but I've also partnered uh with the Colson Center and they have a, a entirely different set of videos much of the content is is the same um but that's up on the colson Center uh website as well. All right. and, hey, I'm going to uh, put,
0: let me just tell people, I'm, I'm going to put all those, I'll put all those links in the show notes today. So um, if when the podcast is posted, you go to myfaithradio.com, um, you will be able to get links. I will put links to all of those resources in today's show notes um, as an easy place to find them.
1: Thank you. And uh, those go through everything of how to identify somebody that's depressed, to have, have the conversation, answers theologic questions, because I think most Christians intuit or they know that suicide is wrong, but they may not have the biblical grounding. And I think it's always wise for us to know where scripture uh, tells us um, uh, to do something or not do something. Um, And uh, so it goes through the theology of it and then goes through some really practical things, including something that I think is very important, and that that is the kinds of things that we should be looking on and directing our children to in particular, meaning that the, the media today has so many dark offerings Um, you can tune into, you know, I don't have to name any of them, but um, Netflix or or Amazon prime and those types of things. And there's just so many dark offerings. And so one of the things that we've done is to kind of collate books, music, uh, films that that edify and uplift as opposed to bringing people down.
0: Mm, so good. Um, talk with us. Uh, you, you talk about kids there. It, suicide is now the number one cause of death among 13-year-olds. That is a terribly tragic statistic. Um, I suspect some of those deaths are accidental, but maybe you could talk with us about, like, how are kids in this age group dying like I, and 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 are there particular signs that parents and other concerned adults need to be watching for
1: yes uh, just in my city i live in lexington kentucky and in my city in in about a month's time we had a 10 11 12 13 and 14 year old all take their own lives and um and so this is something that's affecting younger and younger children uh, my son's a pediatrician and was talking about a six year old that they had hospitalized um, uh, for suicidal thinking. And so these kids are getting this, they're getting uh, a number of mes- messages that I think are just very, very harmful. Number one, They're being told that they're a mistake. They're just a mistake of the cosmos, that a human is nothing more than an accident. Um, And then they're told that if you die, there's nothing. And so if you're feeling pain, you'll feel nothing, and that would be better. Um, And that just doesn't match up with the Christian worldview. As Christians, we believe we're made in the Lord's image, uh, that that we are not a mistake. That God uh, intends us to be here, and that God has a plan for each and every one of us. Um, and and part of that plan is accepting uh, Christ as Savior, and and trying to figure out how we serve others. And so I think at a at a very young age, there isn't a age that's too young uh, for this. We need to begin to tell children that they they are loved, that they are a child of the Lord, that they're made in His image, uh, and that God has a plan for them.
0: Hope Always is the book. It's also um, now a video series and study guide. Um, you can find all of it at MatthewSleethMD.com. I'll also post it in the show notes for today. Um, Hope Always, How to Be a Force for Life in a Culture of Suicide. Um Talk with us a little bit about like the the very practical toolkit for churches, because one of the unique things, the unique features of this is how you invite the church to really sort of step forward on its front foot into this conversation.
1: Well, I think that the first thing the church has to do is acknowledge that that they have to get involved in this. And and if you don't mind, Carmen, I'm going to read just one little piece of Scripture from the Proverbs. This is Proverbs 24, uh, verses 11 through 12. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain, if uh, thou sayest, Behold, we know it not. Does not he that ponder the heart consider it? And he that keep thy soul, does he not know it? and shall he not render unto every man according to his works? In other words, there is, uh, I think a lot of people would hear that as implied threat, and I think there is one there, um, or warning. But there's also an implied blessing, that if the church gets involved, um, God's going to notice that. So I think the church needs to, first of all, realize that this is their area to operate in. This is the the ultimate battle between life and death and between Christ and Satan. And um, so first, I think the church has to acknowledge that. And I have to say that when I have preached on this many times now and recall being in a church with 10,000 in attendance at one time and raising my uh, and asking people to raise their hand if they'd ever heard a sermon on suicide, not one hand went up. And then I asked people to raise their hand if they had lost a friend or family member to uh, suicide, and uh, somewhere between a third and a half of the hands went up, and so this is something that's affecting so many of us, and yet the church has stayed quiet on it, and so I think um, the church has to acknowledge that they need to, as you said, step forward with their first, uh, you know, with their best foot on this one, um, and uh, begin talking to uh uh, all age groups about this, and 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 begin really um, saying the kind of things that only uh, church can say. I, and for instance, if you were to go to a counselor and say I'm depressed and I'm thinking about uh, ending my life, my guess is that there's a 99.99% chance that the counselor would never ask, "Are you taking a Sabbath?" Are you observing the Lord's Day? And so the church needs to begin answering those things and and um, lifting up uh, things that are wholesome, edifying, all those things that you know would come through Philippians four eight uh, that um, that are of good report and we should be talking about. And uh, uh, I can tell you what they're doing in my church. They're having a five week series. Uh, On this, where each week a different uh, counselor or psychologist is taking a subject, whether it be addiction or abuse, how to deal with children, etc., and talking about these. So I think the next step a church has to do is identify those people in the church who have a Christian worldview, uh, who have expertise in this, and then begin to encourage them and facilitate them being able to uh, teach others in the church about it.
0: We're talking with Dr. Matthew Sleeth, author of Hope Always. You can find the resources we're discussing at matthewsleethmd.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen Laburge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do every morning on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. I don't want you to miss any of it, so check out the free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at myfaithradio.com. Dot com. One of the things I would like for you to consider is becoming a Faith Radio ambassador. We talk about walking our faith out into the world that God, that God so loves and doing so in ways that honor Jesus. Well, that's because we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. You can become a Faith Radio ambassador today and help us get the word out to others about this and other programs on the Faith Radio Network. Uh, we will supply everything that you need to share with others, and you can sign up to be a Faith Radio ambassador at MyFaithRadio.com. September is Suicide Prevention Month. Um, do you know somebody that is struggling in the darkness? Are you Worried um, that there's somebody in your life about to reach their breaking point? Maybe maybe it's you. We're talking with Dr. Matthew Sleeth. We are talking about hope. There is hope always. That's also the title of the book and the resources related to this topic. You can find all of that at MatthewSleethMD.com. Um, Matthew, let's talk right now to the person who is struggling. Um, the darkness seems to be getting darker, and they are wondering whether or not... Um, hope is real. God is uh, sufficient. Life is worth living.
1: I think that uh, if if I'm talking to that person, I'm sure there are people listening uh, that are in that place. uh, I I first want to assure you that God loves you, even if you're very, very sad. Uh, There are many people in Scripture who have uh, struggled and said, I'm at the end of my rope. Moses, Elijah, um, Jonah, etc. And there are many Great Christians, uh, whether that's C.S. Lewis or Mother Teresa or Henry Nowen, who've struggled with this, and thought of ending their life, um, and so you're not alone. But the, the if you hear a voice telling you that you would be better off, or the world would be better off without you, that is the voice of Satan. Uh, the voice of Christ says that i came that you might have life and have it more abundantly and so i i want to reassure you that god loves you i uh, i think that you need to do everything that you can to reach out not only within your church but into the medical system to get whatever help uh, is needed um and and then then remember that you are not alone that that christ was a man of sorrows he's acquainted with your grief and he is is there holding your hand and, and can help you through this. Although it seems very dark, um, there is light and that light is in, in Christ. And you need to surround yourself with people that uh, love you, that will pray for you and uh, see you through these hard times. And then when you're through, you need to go and help others uh, because so many of us find our, our sanity, if you will, not. Not in looking after ourselves, but in looking after others. Um, and, and so, and, uh, and and never cease praying. Um, always uh, pray uh, for the Lord to be with you and uh, to guide you through these dark times. If you need to say the 23rd Psalms a thousand times in a month, do it and paste it on your mirror in the morning, that sort of thing. <clears throat>
0: I love that. I love the um, the, the practical um, encouragement there as well. Let me um, let me just also say that uh, if you're if you know someone who has receded from the conversation, they've stopped showing up at things. You've noticed that um, you know they they're not even necessarily answering um, text messages the way they used to. Like if, if somebody is really receded, they are they are disappearing. Um, you need to go. You need to go to their door. You need to go um, to them. Um, and you need to and you need to say, I, I have recognized that you haven't been at church. I have recognized I have missed you, um, you know, at the coffee conversation. Um, I haven't seen you, you know, in wherever it is that you would normally intersect with them. Go to them and, and just say, I'm, you know, I'm worried about you. Um, tell me what 's going on don 't ask if they 're okay. Ask them to tell you what they 're thinking what 's going on um and and be ready to help them get real help um beyond you if uh if that 's what they need. Talk with us, um Matthew, about how to do that part, how to say to someone i'm i 'm concerned to the point of your life and then um you know. Take them to an emergency room. I mean, is that what we
1: yeah. do? Absolutely, Carmen. I, I, amen to everything that you're saying here. Um, the, the The line of defense here is an emergency department. If you think somebody's in imminent uh, um, jeopardy of taking their own life, that's why emergency departments exist. They're very, very good at um, uh, interceding. It, it's not always the smoothest process, but they're very good at it. And many, many, many people 's lives have been saved by simply doing what you have said and then, if somebody 's not quite at that place, uh, you know try to identify uh, resources for counseling and that type of thing and and just stay in their lives. We have a tendency to withdraw from people who aren 't smiling every moment, um, but we need to be in those people 's lives and even when we're not with them, text them an encouragement that you're missing them and uh, an uplifting scripture, those type of things. Don't withdraw from those people. Uh, do the exact opposite and, uh, and, and walk that walk with them.
0: Just a reminder that 988 is the new three-digit suicide and crisis lifeline. 988, um, if, uh, if the person is a veteran and they push the number one, After uh, 988 connects, they will go directly to the Veterans Crisis Lifeline. There are going to be a number of direct access points um, in addition to the Veterans um, Access Point uh, in the coming uh, days and weeks and months. Um, There are uh, active call centers in every state now for the new three-digit 988 um, Suicide Prevention Hotline. Um, and so let's be praying for the people who are answering those calls. Let's be praying for resources to be surged into this area. This is um, this is a crisis in our country, and we want to be uh, Christians who bear light and bear hope and put people in touch with resources um, well-suited and designed to help them um, in real time. So Dr. Matthew Sleeth, as always, thank you so much. Thank you for your ministry. Thank you for the book, Hope Always. Thank you for the new resources that are video-based available as well. You guys can access all of it at MatthewSleethMD.com. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you, and uh, blessings on your ministry.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Hey, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Stories um, here sometimes really strike a chord. So thank you for those of you texting in right now. Um, listener Tim texted in yesterday uh, and emailed in response to the conversation that we had with Tim Hammett. Um, did I have his name right? Is that right? Is that who we had on? Is not Tim. Does that sound right? No, uh, Matt Hammett. Matt Hammett. Thank you. Matt Hammett um, about his son Bowen and the movie Bowen's Heart. So Tim, our listener, that's where I got the name, Tim, um, has a son, Lucas, who um, suffers from the same condition. And um, just want to give a shout out to Tim today and to Lucas. Um, Tim, thank you for sharing your story and responding to what you heard here on Faith Radio. Um, That's what this is about, uh, connecting with you and connecting you with stories and resources that are meaningful to you. So thank you for sharing those stories with us. Um, That's actually what the faith line is for. So if you want to share your faith story, your faith radio story with us, you can do so. 877-933-2484. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.